I'll let you set that down, my friend. Hallelujah. hearing about miracles because how many know when Jesus does a thing he does it right and he keeps on doing it and he's not through healing because he's always been a healer will always be a healer he's always been a healer and I'm telling you someone in this room tonight is going to leave with their healing before you drive off this property, you're going to check your body and things you thought you would find are not going to be there anymore. Pain you thought you would find is not going to be there anymore. Oh, touch your neighbor and love on somebody near you and tell them, neighbor, he's talking to you. Come on. He's talking to you. I don't know who you think he's talking to, but he's talking to you. I don't know who you think he's talking to, but he's talking to you. He's talking to the one who thought God would heal everybody else but you. I'm talking to you. How many know he's a good God? Better than we could ever tell it, he's a good God. Better than we could ever praise him, he's a good God. What an honor. It is to be asked to come back and be in this amazing place with all of you amazing people. How many are thankful for all that God has done in this house for 271 weeks? I think we ought to give him the best praise we've given him all night long. And while you're thanking God for his goodness, help me thank God for your leaders. Come on, tell Pastor Todd and Dr. Karen Smith how much you love them and how thankful to God you are for their life. I'm going to ask you to go with me to the Bible. It's a good place to preach from. Uh, if you would be so kind to stand with me. I know you've been standing so long and you just sat down and what a heathen I am for asking you. Uh, can somebody hand me my phone? Do I have my phone? I, I have to tell you what I'm doing. I don't usually do this. I usually come and I know what I'm going to preach. And um, um, I was worshiping tonight. Actually, I was back there changing clothes. And I had felt real good about this sermon I was about to preach. And I heard the Spirit whisper to me while I was changing clothes, you don't have my word in your mouth yet, it's coming. And I was in the bathroom talking. And I said, Holy Ghost, I'm preaching in 30 minutes. If I don't have the word, I need it right now. He said, no, you don't need it right now, but when you need it, you'll have it. Well, I want you to know I got it, and I'm about to preach it in this building right now. And when we preach this word, it's not because I'm preaching it, but because God is saying it. I need you to pull on somebody right now. Tell them, neighbor, we're going from glory to glory. Tell them we're going from glory to glory. Come on, tell your neighbor, new levels are in this room right now. New dimensions are in this room. I, you're not talking to your neighbor, but I need you to put it in the atmosphere and tell somebody we're going from glory to glory. I want you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. 
And then I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 8. And if you want to know what I'm doing, I am getting this word ready. Don't feel sorry for me because this don't happen everywhere I go. I need that monitor to get louder if you can help me, Mr. Soundman. I preached three times today or twice already. This is my third time and my vocal cords need some help. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, that's better. Thank you. I want you to go to Mark chapter 6 and then go over to Matthew 8. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to preach tonight. This is a different word, but hang on about the Capernaum culture. Touch your neighbor, tell them the Capernaum culture. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But you're happy about it already. I can see it on your face. You're feeling it. You don't even know what you're feeling. Hallelujah. The Capernaum culture. Mark chapter 6, look at this here. Verse 1. Now before I preach about Capernaum, I have to talk about Nazareth. Because churches in this hour are either going to get extremely hot or extremely cold. The blurred lines that confuse people as to what kind of church we are, that line is being removed and the people are going to know where the hot fire is burning and where cold, dry religion is ruling and reigning. And I'm going to preach about Capernaum, but before I do, I want to talk about the only other option. You will either be hot or you will be cold. But you can't stay lukewarm. I feel like I'm in the room with some fire tonight, but I'm going to preach just to make sure everybody's soul is catching on fire. Mark 6, verse 1, Then he went out from there, and he came to his own country, which we know as Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this with which he is, is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Hoses and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. So they were offended at him. Look at verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there except heal except that he laid his hands on, say laid his hands on, except that he laid his hands on a few, a few, what a pitiful thing, just a few sick people and he healed them. This is one of three times in the scripture that Jesus marveled. And when the Bible said, and he marveled, it's typically a good thing because usually he sees faith that makes him marvel. And the word marvel in the Greek means he was blown away. But this is not that moment. This moment is filled with marvel not because of the faith of the people, but because he had never encountered such unbelief. The Bible said he marveled because of their unbelief 
and he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 8. I need to preach the other part of this sermon so you keep your joy. Verse 5, when you have it, say amen. Look at your neighbor say, I'm part of the Capernaum culture. Now Jesus had entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only... You don't even have to come to my house. Only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one go and he goes and to that one come and he comes. And to my servant do this and he does it. And when he heard it, Jesus marveled. Uh, same word, but a different thing has now happened that has blown Jesus' mind. My God. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There there will be gnashing and wailing and weeping. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed from that same hour. Watch 14. This is developing. See this with me. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother, his mother-in-law. You know you're saved if you're minister to your mother-in-law. Come on, help me, church. Say amen. He saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. She, so he touched her hand. The fever left her and she arose and served them. Verse 16. I believe this word is for this house. This is what I want you to see. And it will take me a moment to get there. But this is the word of the Lord for this place. When the evening had come, they brought to him Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. When evening had come, somebody say, when evening had come. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. And if all that's not enough, skip on down and let me just summarize 23 through 29 by saying that he got in a boat, went over on the lake, a massive storm broke out, and they woke him up saying, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 25 said that, but in verse 26 he said to them, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? He arose, rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men, I hope y'all catching this Marvel theme. And the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the waves 
obey him. I need you tonight, Lord. There is a trato There is a tremendous grace in this room. And I thank you for access to the grace of God. I'm asking you tonight to sit down on this house. Let us feel the weight of your coming in. Let glory invade every heart. Let entire houses come up under the power of God tonight. Let homes and families, let them be so indelibly stamped by your anointing that it changes the trajectory of their lives. Bless, I thank you right now that because of your blood, Lord Jesus, the curse is rebuked and the blessing of God is getting ready to fall on people in this room that's going to turn their life upside down. And I praise you for what's happened in 271 weeks. But with a praise of thanksgiving in advance, we thank you that the best is still yet to come. And we're going to give you glory for it. Somebody help me praise him. Father, we thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. Do it for your glory and honor, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray and the church said, amen. Can be seated in the presence of God. A.W. Tozer once said that the most important thing a person can do is to think rightly about God. I have discovered that the enemy's tactic is to shape our perception of God. Because if the enemy can whisper in our minds long enough and not become detected that it is his voice speaking, then that voice that continues to bombard our mind starts shaping how we think about God. If you come into a room with people who have a renewed mind and everyone in the room is walking in a renewed mind, walking what we would call, according to the book of Romans, walking in the spirit, then we find in that kind of atmosphere a culture that is conducive for glory to manifest. If you come into the room and people understand God and they think rightly about God and they trust God and they honor God and they receive God, something is released in that room that you can't find anywhere else. But if you ever walk into a room and people are not thinking rightly about God, there's a culture in the room that repels glory from manifesting. Anybody understand what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I, I want you to understand something about culture. Culture in a church is like water that fish swim in. You, you and I, if you, and I know Pastor Todd as much as he travels, you go into some churches and they have a wonderful vision statement on the wall. And the vision statement says something like this, touching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are 12 people in there and they're all from the same family. Or the most loving church in the world. That's our vision. And you come into the church and everybody's hateful. Vision statements are cool, but culture is the reality of who you really are. We can announce who we want to be, but culture is who we really are. 
Some churches want to be a place of revival and they testify about revival and you go looking for the fire and you go looking for the miracle worker and nobody's getting healed and nobody's getting saved and nobody's getting touched because what we want and what we are can sometimes be two different things. Culture is massively important in a church. And this is being preached tonight because I want everyone in this room to understand who you are personally contributes to what the culture is corporately. Well, I don't know. I'm just going to go and just, you know, check it out and see if it's real. And when you come through the door with skepticism, it impacts the atmosphere. I didn't come skeptical tonight. I didn't come wondering tonight. I came in faith because I heard a thing is happening in Dawsonville, Georgia. If I wanted to remain a skeptic, I could have watched it online, but I wanted to be in the house because I hear God is moving in this place. And culture matters to God. God manifests his glory in a certain kind of atmosphere. Well, God is God and God can do what he wants. Yes, he does get to do what he wants, but he chooses the houses he goes to. You know there's some people's house you don't want to go to. Don't lie. You know you got some of them in-laws when your wife tells you, sir, we're going over there for a cookout. You get sick all of a sudden. You don't want to go to the cookout. You don't want to go to the house. You don't want to go to the birthday party. Why? Because there's something about that atmosphere that you don't want to be a part of. There are some atmospheres and cultures, church cultures, that are not conducive for God to manifest his glory. Let me explain it like this tonight. You and I are called to see an invasion of heaven on earth. Why? Because God has manifested his presence in heaven. And if you don't believe me, read Revelation. Heaven is not broke down. Heaven is is not on a time clock. Heaven is not about a bunch of elders getting tired and angels getting wore out. For ages, they have circled the same throne, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Elders cast their crowns. Angels sing the same song. Nobody gets wore out. Nobody gets tired. Nobody sends a letter to the pastor about the lyrics of the song. They just keep wrapping themselves around the same throne. And every revolution produces a fresh revelation because he's the God of manifold glory and when they think that they might have seen it all they make one more trip around the throne and they keep doing it because he's the God of unfolding glory why are you preaching about heaven because Jesus said pray for that kind of kingdom to come and be manifest why would Jesus tell us to pray for his kingdom to come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven I thought we were leaving this planet you are but not yet if you want God to come stop we need in the church to stop trying to make heaven just the destination because it is where we're going and we need to see earth as the landing strip for the kingdom to be manifested and when what's happening in here looks like what we read in Revelation 4 then what's happening in Revelation 4 will start happening in our churches (laughs) 
And personally, I have a contribution to make to the atmosphere. Look at your neighbor, say, neighbor. If you don't talk to your neighbor, I'm coming to get you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you have a contribution to make to this atmosphere. It matters if you come in hateful. It matters if you come in mad. It matters if you come in and haven't prayed in three months. It matters if the first time we crack our Bible is when the preacher's getting ready to preach the sermon. It matters. You gotta come in with honor. You gotta come in with expectation. You gotta come in saying, Lord, it's week 271 and week 272 is about to blow our mind. Do it all over again. Culture, say culture. The water we swim in, the atmosphere that we have created, it matters. So he comes to Nazareth. He has healed every kind of sickness you can imagine. He has delivered every kind of bound person you can imagine. He comes into Nazareth. And the Bible said when he gets to, I remember being in Nazareth the first time I went to Israel with Campus Choir and Dr. Horton. And we went to the town of Nazareth into the synagogue of Nazareth. I remember being in that synagogue with Campus Choir and a tongue and interpretation coming forth from the synagogue. And with tears, the prophet who gave the interpretation was weeping as he interpreted the prophecy. And the word of the Lord was, for so long, I have longed to be worshiped in my hometown but they have rejected me time and again. I remember the weeping spirit of God came upon us and we laid on that dusty, nasty floor of that old synagogue weeping and crying out in repentance because we wanted God to know he was loved in his own hometown. Nazareth, a place where he was raised, a place where he cut his teeth on the benches, a place where he played in the alleys and in the streets of the city, a place where he knew the man that ran the market, he knew the man that ran all of the industry, and, he, and Jesus would have known the city. It was where he was raised. And he comes back to this place where he was raised. And the Bible said when he came in and started preaching, they could not deny what he was saying, and they could not deny the power he was saying it with, but instead of honoring him, they had a different kind of culture and atmosphere. They looked at him and said, where did he get these things? I'm getting ready to preach right here. Do you know what religious people say when they see somebody who has something they didn't give them? Where did he get these things? Have you ever met people like that? Where did they get this baptism thing? Who does that Dr. Dr. Karen and Pastor Todd think they are with these fiery waters? You know what? You didn't give it to them, so don't be wondering where they got it from. I'll tell you where they got it from. They didn't get it from your religious circle, and they didn't get it from your board of elders, and they didn't get your permission for it. They found the power of God in one act of obedience, and it unlocked a door. Religious people all the time. Where did they get these things? Where did they get this? Where did they get this? We didn't give it to them. Where did they get this? Let me help you understand something, Sister Yay Yay. We don't want what you're given. There is a reason why people who are hungry for revival are not running to the structures of man-made religion trying to get something. We don't 
he get these things from? Where did he get these things from? And is this not Mary's son, James's brother? Isn't it funny when you start being used by God, people who feel nervous and intimidated by the oil on your life will start responding to you and trying to identify you by some place in your past. Well, why would God use him? Doesn't God know what him did? Yes, God knows what him did. But as far as the east is from the west, well, God is using her. Doesn't God know what she did? I'm talking to a sister right over here somewhere. God's hand is on your life and there are people who are trying to tell you God can't use you and the devil says stuff through people, through people. The devil says stuff like this. Is that not the woman with a problem? Is that not the woman with a past? Is that not the woman who messed up? And you need to agree with the devil quickly and tell the devil, yeah, it was me, but look what the Lord has done. Somebody touch your neighbor right now and tell him it was me. That's who I used to be. But I need to give God a praise on Sunday night, week 271, that although I'm not what I'm going to be, I am not who I used to be. this not Mary's son? They, watch, they knew him after the flesh. They knew who he was according to the flesh. But they did not perceive who he was by the Spirit. And I found out that one of the greatest marks of a culture of Nazareth, or shall I say a culture of dishonor, one of the earmarks of a culture of dishonor is that you know people after the flesh, but you don't know them after the spirit. He won't say this and she won't say this, so let me say this. This is not Todd and Karen. This is my apostle, and this is the prophetess of this house, and the grace that is on their life is changing mine. get up here so y'all in the back can see me while I say it. These are not just our friends and our these are gifts from God. Why do you say this pastor? Because if they're just Todd and Karen and I don't see them as God sent them then no matter what grace God put on them, I can't receive from it. Uh, here he goes about titles. Oh no, it's not about a title because I'm sick and tired of people demanding I call them something that they don't have the fruit to prove. I met enough fake apostles. I know one when I spot one. You got six people in your church and nine security guards, you are fake. There is this move of dishonor in the body where people have become common. 
with the anointing. I'm not telling you I feel that here. I'm telling you don't let it come in. Because the moment we begin to dishonor leadership is the moment we remove ourselves from the ability to receive from the leadership God has sent us. And I'm going to tell you this one more time. They would never say this and probably will find fault with me for saying it after I leave. Say, don't say that anymore. We don't need you to say that. I'm telling you, I watch churches dissolve right now. I'm watching it happen. I'm, I'm, an over, I'm an overseer of a church falling apart right now. And you know why? Because dishonor crept in. I thought this was revival week 271. If we're going to have week 273, we got to be on guard. I'm glad I got out of my system what I preached this morning in Cleveland. I preached on Jezebel this morning. Y'all couldn't have handled that one. In my own church, I preached about Jezebel this morning. Why did you preach that? Do you got a Jezebel problem? No, I just don't want one. And I felt like I would throw a proactive missile in her direction to let her know Jesus is alive and Jezebel is dead. Y'all better say amen or something in this room. Let me get back up here. I need to behave. Listen, he goes, he goes into Nazareth. And the Bible said he preached a good sermon, taught a powerful teaching, but he could only do a few miracles. And it wasn't because Jesus had exhausted his power. It's because the people in the room had removed themselves from the ability to receive the oil on his life. And if you come to week 272 next week without honor in your heart for who God is and all he's done, you can actually mess with the culture. I'm not preaching to you a word of correction, I suppose. And really when the Lord spoke to me sitting on the front row, he said, Kevin, don't panic. Because I told the Lord, I don't want to preach this. This house is on fire. This house is in revival. Why will I preach this? He said, I want them to know they got to guard it. They got to guard it. They got to guard what I'm, I'm sending. Do you understand that fire comes from God but is tended by man? God sends the fire, priests tend the fire. Well, I'm going to go down there to the North Georgia Revival and see what God is doing. Not me. I'm going down to the North Georgia Revival to tend what I know is already burning. If you don't walk in with that kind of attitude and all you do is walk in to check things out, you have already offended the Spirit of God. We are not here just to check God out. We are here to tend something holy. I came in tonight, it made me feel like home. All these babies up here jumping with the pastor's wife. Dr. Carol. These kids all crying and laying out. I said to myself, yes, Lord. Well, you know, those kids are just excited. No, you're just bored. Yeah. <laughs> 
You're just bored. And I'll tell you why people in church get bored. They're circling the wrong throne. There is a reason why I'm going back to the angels. There is a reason why they've been doing it for time and eternity. If you're bored when you come to church, you're circling the wrong throne. If you want to get on fire, get back to the Lamb and circle the throne of the Lamb. I'm getting off Nazareth in a minute, but let me give the warning very clearly. When he comes in, when the Holy Ghost starts moving, when God starts speaking, miracles start happening. Don't say, where did he get these things? Don't say, is this not, is this not so, is this, say, God, you can do anything. There's nothing too hard. There is nothing impossible. The last time I come here, my shoulder was hurting. God healed me in this room. Tonight, you called out back pain. You had no clue that I wore on my way down here tonight. They'll tell you. A neck brace to stretch my back out. Because I got a compressed vertebrae. And I've been in pain all week long. And while I was sitting there, you started calling out names. Scoot over to me. Scoot over. Just, just. You started calling out names of where people were from. And without even thinking about it, I went, oh my God. What the big deal? I couldn't do that last night. I couldn't do that last night, but I did it tonight. I did it tonight. I did it tonight and so are you. Somebody give God a... Go ahead and run, buddy. I feel it in the room. Let me keep going. Well, he's not through running, so we're not through praising. Somebody give God a praise. Don't let him run by himself. Somebody help him praise the Lord.
glory. Somebody shout glory. Sit with me, sit with me, sit with me. Let me, I'm not going to preach much longer. Just, I got to release the other half of this. He goes to Nazareth and could only do a few miracles. And the Bible records some of the saddest words found in the New Testament. He left Nazareth. And scripture never says that he ever went back. Did you make the banana bread for me? Give me your hand. Seriously. I know it's hard for you to believe this, princess, but hear me. A new season's coming on your life. And you're about to find the freshest grace and the sweetest oil. Sweetheart, can you lay your hand right here on her heart? Come lay your hand on her heart, just her heart. In the name of Jesus. He left Nazareth and we don't have record that he ever returned. From there he goes to a small fishing village called Capernaum. Not on anybody's radar for revival. Dawsonville. Just a small little fishing city. Nobody said, it's on the way. He just decided he couldn't set up his headquarters in a place with a bunch of dishonor. So he goes to Capernaum. And when he gets there, He's not met by religious people. In fact, he encounters first a heathen, polytheistic, Gentile centurion. That's not a compliment to the, to the man. The man was filled and surrounded by the most vile, evil kind of people. Roman centurions and Roman soldiers were among the most hateful, vile, vicious, vitriolic, malicious people of the day. And they didn't care much about small little communities like Capernaum. And they didn't care about the people in those little cities either. Jesus comes into Capernaum. And when he does, this vile centurion meets him. Except this man is not like everybody else in the centurion Roman soldier camp. This man's been studying Jesus. I feel God in this room. He adore my Shia. This man's been studying the life of our Lord. And 
when Jesus walks into the city, the centurion, having heard the stories, the miracles, the testimonies, he comes to Jesus and says, I have a servant at the point of death and I want you to heal him. And Jesus says, what every good Pentecostal wants to hear, I will come to your house and heal him. Praise God. He'll come to the house. That's how good he is. He'll come to the house. But something happens in the culture. I feel the Holy Ghost here now. Something happens in the atmosphere. He just left a rather religious city and was rejected by religious people. He goes into a rather Gentile place and instead of encountering the religious, he, re he encounters sinful humanity. But there's something about this sinful humanity that separates them from the religious crowd. Even though they don't understand everything there is to know, there is an honor and an expectation among this little fishing village that changes the atmosphere. Jesus says, I will come and heal your son. And the man freaks Jesus out. And he says, sir, Mr. Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is speak your word. This is bananas. Kabasa. This is cray cray. This is cray cray. You don't have to come lay hands on me or my son. All you have to do is speak the word. And Jesus is in a Gentile city and steps back and is in amazement that in a Gentile city, absent of a bunch of religious knotheads, in a place full of polytheistic Gentiles, his word and his oil are honored. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And he looks at the man and says, your servant is healed. And when he gets home, instead of laying in a bed living on life support, he's up fixing the dishes and preparing the stuff. And the centurion man says, it's real. Take your Bible. Open it back up to Matthew 8. I need to show you this and I'm going to go sit down. I think. But we might run some more. It felt so good. Can I teach for five minutes? The servant, pardon me, the centurion said, you don't have to come to my house and lay hands on my servant. All you have to do is speak the word. Say, speak the word. Look at verse number 16. 
when evening had come. Say when evening had come. When the sun went down and it looked like it was getting dark, something started happening. They brought to him demon-possessed people and sick folk. And your Bible says in the 16th verse, and he cast spirits out with, he healed the people who were sick with a word. Where did that come from? I'm glad you asked. It came from one centurion man who stepped out on something no one had ever stepped out on before and said, you don't have to do what you've always done to heal my servant. I got enough power. I got enough faith in the power of what you say because I know who you are. And this centurion man had a greater revelation of faith than most people sitting in churches today. He said, I know how authority works. And since you have supreme authority, you don't have to come touch my son. All you got to do is say it because I got authority myself. And when I tell a servant to go, he goes. When I tell him to come, he comes. When I tell him to do a thing, he does a thing. And I don't believe you're just any other religious potentate. You're not just another religious guru. You're not like Mahatma Gandhi. You're not like Buddha. You're not like Allah. You're not like Harry Krishna. You don't get in a tomb and stay. There's something different about you. And whenever, I wish I could find some people who think Jesus is altogether different than every other religious being out there. Oh my God. Whenever he says it, I feel the Holy Ghost on my back right now. Whenever he says it, he doesn't take a committee vote. He doesn't see what the religious people say. If he ever says it, he will do what he said. He is not a man that he should lie. We're almost done. We're almost done. We're almost done. One man said, if you speak the word, my servant will be healed. Everybody in that town heard what happened when Jesus said, he's healed. They all heard it. They said, did y'all hear? Maybe the boy's name was Jim Bob. I like to think his name was Jim Bob. Jim Bob was dying. Jesus said, Jim Bob's going to live. And Harry, the centurion, went home. And Jim Bob's not dead. Jim Bob is alive. There's power in the word of Jesus. So that night, while the sun's going down, it's getting darker in the world. But the light is just starting to break through. And instead of lining up a long line for Jesus to touch everybody, an honor had permeated the atmosphere and it began, it started something that had never been started before. They started realizing he don't even have to touch us. All he has to do is speak one word and the demons leave. If it worked for Harry the centurion, it can work for Bobby the, the woodsmith, it can work for Jim the backsmith, it can work for Susie the homemaker. All I need is a word from the Lord. God can heal my cancer with one word. God can heal my diabetes with one word. God can heal my sick husband with one word. If you can't get here and you're watching me on TV, you wanted a touch and the devil told you you couldn't have one, I came to tell you he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. (laughs) 
all night long, people got delivered and healed with one word. Why did you read that part about the wind and the waves? I'm glad you asked. Because he was testing the disciples to see if they had caught the revelation. They get out in a storm. Storm breaks out on the lake and they wake him up and say, do you not care that we are going to perish? And he said, you're failing the test. Oh, ye of little faith. What did he do? Did he touch the water? Nope. You know what he did? He said, peace. And the waves laid down. I feel like preaching. And the wind stopped blowing. And all of a sudden, the storm ceased. Why? Because whenever God speaks, everything has to line up and listen. So what kind of culture are we going to be? Because if we're a Nazareth culture and we're always, I'm not talking about to you, I'm preaching to us but through you to the world. What kind of culture are we going to be in a church? A Nazareth culture that says, where did they get these things? You know what the Bible says too? It says, they said among themselves, we've never seen it like this before. Well, imagine that, Gertrude. You've never seen it like this before. Wonderful! What a horrible experience it would be to come to church for 50 years and only see what you've only seen. It might just be that Yahweh wants to blow your feeble mind. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> we have all these critics of revival these days. There are people who send me emails on a constant basis. I, I gotta hurry. I gotta. I, I, okay, okay, okay. Just, just tell me to shut up, and I can go sit down and preach to myself and the three brothers that rode with me here, because I still got this thing in my belly. I'm telling you right now, the fire of God is real. I said, the fire of God is real. We got these critics all the time, and they'll send an email. Why do people fall out in your church? That's not scriptural. Well, number one, it is scriptural. Daniel fell like a dead man. John the Revelator fell like a dead man. I could go through the whole Bible. Ezekiel fell like a dead man. That doesn't mean they just, that means they fell. Why do people fall in church? I'll tell you why. The God who created the heavens and the earth with his, with his voice could touch your little five-foot being and you fall in the floor and I'll be all right with that. It's a miracle you don't explode. Well, I've, never, I've never seen people fall in the floor. People are going to fall in the floor. His glory sits on you. The kabod of God gets on you. You cannot stand. Well, I don't know about this baptism revival. Well, for the woman with psoriasis, you came too late. 
these critics. Half of them aren't even saved. You think I'm changing my recipe over someone's opinion who tasted what God's doing in our church and they didn't like the flavor of it? You came too late, Jack. We need to be people of honor. Ready for this? God's going to do it a bunch of different ways and he's in all of it. And the moment you start acting like your way is the only way is the moment you lose the way. And I'm not going to be a Nazareth company. I'm not going to dishonor or offend God. When he does something I've never seen him do, I'm going to celebrate the fact that he let me see it. I don't think I've ever told you this. My crazy wife, and I say crazy to her glory because she's crazy for God. She had a women's conference. 1,700 women showed up. Apostle, for six hours, she baptized people in water. These are not unsaved people. I stood out there and I watched, and you have to understand, we, we bought what used to be the largest Baptist church in America back in the 80s. Highland Park Baptist Church, downtown Chattanooga, has a baptism pool, and I'm not exaggerating, it's three times the size of that baptism right there. It's just, and that's a big one. It's just massive. And that's all the Baptist people do is baptize people anyway. You know, they, 100 people baptize, they got saved, boo, boo, baptizing. This thing looks like Chickamauga Dam. I mean, it looks like the Tennessee River. Hundreds of gallons of water and 1,700 women. And Devin leans over to me in worship and says, we're supposed to immerse. I said to her, what? This is not like 10 years ago. This is a year ago. I've been here and preached, knowing what God's done in these waters. And my wife looks at me and says, we're supposed to immerse. I said, these people are already saved. She said, this is not a, bap this is not a baptism unto salvation. This is an immersion into a new way of living. And she said, furthermore, she said, furthermore, Naaman's skin is about to get healed. Am I telling the truth? 1,700 women baptized for six hours. We had to call Serve Pro to suck the water up out of the carpet. They were drunk as badgers getting out of that tank. The Holy Ghost slayed them all over the room. Wigs, extensions, weaves, it all fell off in the water. We even had teeth fly out in the water. Go ahead, buddy, I'm jumping with you. Sit on, sit. 
Sit down. Guess who they asked to help direct the traffic? The bishop. I'm going up to the baptism pool, and when I get back there, it looks like a bomb went off. I am not exaggerating. Hundreds of people laying everywhere. Whoever the genius was that built the building built the baptism on top of the electricity room. But they had never baptized so many people like this and water was going over the baptism and these crazy ladies who were getting full of the Holy Ghost were slinging water out of the baptism and it pulled up and started running in the electricity room. They come and got me. It's a true story. I'm telling a true story. Am I telling the true story? They come and got me and said, you go tell them. They got to chill out. <laughs> I'm the bishop. I don't do that. You go tell them. So I went up there, stepping over bodies. I get up to the baptism pool. I look at my wife and the four women standing in the pool helping her baptize 1,600, 1,700 ladies. I said, you got to calm down. My wife four foot 11 inches. She looked at me and said, don't quench the Holy Ghost. Okay. She said, what's in this pool is greater than anything else going on in this church. I'm, I'm closing, I promise. I'm closing, I promise saw all of this carnage. I had a group of intercessors praying nobody would get electrocuted. I got seven men I said get back here and pray in the Holy Ghost and rebuke electricity from frying everything. So they're back there, God protect the sisters. And the sisters are up there as drunk as Cooter Brown. They had no clue what was going on. Listen, and I thought what am I apart, what is happening? until the director of my school of ministry who got COVID two years ago, went through the baptism waters, came out on the other side, and for a year and a half has not been able to taste anything. She's sitting and she looks like she's been hit by a freight train. And she... They're trying to make sure she's okay because she had heart problems from COVID and all this crazy stuff. Hadn't been able to eat, uh, to, to taste anything. Hadn't been able to smell anything. They give her a cracker to help her come too. It's a true story before the Lord. Am I telling the truth? You would think I'm making this up and I am not. She started eating the cracker and began to speak in tongues. And I said, why are you speaking in tongues over a cracker? She said, for a year and a half, I couldn't taste a cracker. And now I can taste the cracker. Capernaum, where are you? That night after 1,700 women were baptized, the miracles that came in, astounded me. The 
marriages that were healed. It blew my mind. I don't give a rip about those in Nazareth anymore. And you don't have to either. Because if you'll honor what God is up to, what he's doing in this house is going to get on yours. And I kept feeling in my heart on the two-hour drive up here today that this thing is about to hit another level. If you don't want it, you don't have to get it, but you won't stop this house from going there. It's going to hit another level. And it's not just going to hit this house, it's going to hit every house connected to this house. Because what God has started, you've honored. What you honor, you attract. I've been hearing this song since I started preaching. I believe my change is coming. I believe my change is coming. I believe that my change is coming right now. I'm gonna come over here and sing to you. I believe my change is coming. I believe my change is coming. I believe a change is coming right now. Listen, so tomorrow about this time Tomorrow about this time. Tomorrow about this time. Things are going to change. Tomorrow about this time. Tomorrow. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. White folk, we're going to have time it. About this time, things are gonna. You got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. Say tomorrow, come on, say tomorrow. Somebody get on the drums and help me sing this song. Oh, tomorrow. Say tomorrow about this time. Things are gonna change. A change in your house. Throw your hands up and sing that again. Say tomorrow. Tomorrow, things are gonna change. 
How many believe it only takes one word from God? I said, how many believe it only takes one word from God? I'm going to tell you what I sense God is getting ready to do. <laughs> the testimonies I heard tonight and were validated with pictures and evidence and all this amazing stuff. If those things had happened or people knew that they were happening, it would change the mind of so many who've been burnt by trickery. Because how many know there have been people in the church that couldn't have the real thing so they came up with a gimmick? But what I saw tonight was just another, and I don't need another thing because I've been here enough to know that this house sees miracles weekly because God is a weekly healer. But what I want you to hear me say is that the testimonies and the evidence and the blessing of God that is on this place is getting ready. It's like I see a megaphone coming on it. And I, I want you to know that we've been to Uruguay a couple of times. The first time I went, they didn't have a microphone. They gave me a megaphone. A megaphone can reach, you know, a few feet. Uh, maybe 20, 30 feet deep, these kind of megaphones in Uruguay. But the last time we went to Uruguay, they had a sound system and speakers went forever and people all over the place could hear. And the Lord was saying to me, I'm going to magnify the message and I want this house to hear me tell you this. What God is doing for you is not just for you, it's through you. said it's not just going to be for you it's going to be through you what does that mean like the centurion you're not just going to receive a miracle you're going to unlock miracles for cities for regions for nations i believe it i want you to take your neighbor's hand please if you're not already in a posture of prayer i want you to take your neighbor's hand I want you to covenant with the person whose hand you're holding that this will be a Capernaum culture. This will, come on. I want you to pray for about two straight minutes right now. God, give us the heart of a Capernaum people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, I know that down the road, Capernaum lost their way. I get that. You're, you're not going to lose your way, but you're going to catch this revelation tonight. That honor for the word and honor for what God is doing and honor for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May it shape the culture of this house for eternity. May it shape the generational, the generational legacy that is passed from one generation to the next. May this ground be holy. May it, come on, pray, people of God. May it always be a Capernaum culture. May the Spirit of the Lord be honored. May the Spirit of the Lord be honored. May the Word of God be honored in this house. May the Word of God and the work of God and the Holy of God be honored. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Listen, while we're all standing, if you're in this room and you would say, Pastor Kevin, I need to give my life to Christ. I, I know it's Sunday night and I can't imagine that, that, there, that there are a lot of lost people here, but you know what? There may be one. And if there's one, that's who I came for. 
And I want to tell whoever you are and wherever you're from, no matter what you've been doing, how long you've been doing it, how lost you feel, how screwed up you think you are, I want to tell you tonight that if you'll come to Christ, he'll save you. If you feel him knocking on the door of your heart, that's called mercy and grace. I wouldn't tell him no, I'd let him in. I said I wouldn't tell him no, I'd let him in. He's inviting you not into a religion, but into a kingdom. I want you to look at your neighbor right now. I don't care if you've known them your whole life or you never met them before. I want you to ask them this question. Do you need someone to walk down there with you and go pray? And if you know you need Jesus to save you, when your neighbor asks you that question, come out of your seat. Come stand down in this altar right now. We're going to pray for God to save any person in this room. Any person who wants to give their life to Christ, I'm waiting on you right now to come. Just one? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, come on, pal. Come on, pal. Come on, pal. Come on. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful God. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful God. Come on, come on, come on. They're coming. Come on. Come on. They're still coming. We're still praising. the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. I want all of you who came, some of you came to bring somebody, but some of you came for eternal life. You don't have to know it all. Don't even have to act like you do. I still don't know it all. Been pastoring for 20 years. Here's what I know. I believe. I just believe. I believe he is who that book says he is. I believe he did what that book said he did and I believe he's going to do what that book the Bible tells me he will do and here's what the Bible tells me I don't know what your feelings are telling you but I know what the Bible's telling you if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead if you call on the name of the Lord doesn't matter what your past is it doesn't matter what your resume says if you call on the name of the Lord you shall be saved. And I'm not going to lead you in a sinner's prayer because I don't want you to pray some mechanical thing. But I want all of you just to lay hands on your heart and close your eyes and start talking to God like he's standing right here. And whatever you want to ask him. And when I got saved, I asked him if he would come into my life and be Lord. I, I asked him to forgive me of all my sins and I had a bunch of them. I asked I ask him if he would cleanse my mind and renew it from dead works so that I could serve him. I asked him to make me a citizen of his kingdom. I wanted to live for Jesus.
I want you to close your eyes and I want you to talk to God and ask him to make him to make him Lord of your life right now. I want you to stretch your hands toward this altar and pray for these precious brothers and sisters like you wish somebody would pray for you the night you got saved. And we're just going to pray for about three minutes right here. It doesn't take long. All you got to do is turn your heart toward Jesus. Just turn your heart in his direction. Just turn your heart toward the light, away from the dark, away from the death. Turn it to life tonight. Ask him to come in and be the Lord. Don't worry about how many times you've fallen down. Grace is the thing that will pick you back up again. He's better to us than we could be to ourselves. And where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. Save them by your grace. Save them by your mercy. As they ask you to come in, I thank you that you are evicting the darkness. You are evicting the devil. And you are coming in and making them your own. They are now bought with a price. Bought with the precious blood of... I need people to worship the Lord in this room right now. Come on, worship Jesus. Shema Masata. Sweetheart, I'm telling you, that years of pain and regret are getting ready to wash away. Woo! And a new life is getting ready to descend. Oh my God, grace, grace, grace. Somebody shout grace. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not gonna open the altar for this, but I'm gonna lead this prayer before I invite you to the waters for baptism. I believe with all my heart God spoke to me for my personal church, the church I pastor. He spoke to me this week in prayer and even this morning as I began to preach. He said, I'm not interested in your crowd size. I'm coming back for a bride, not a crowd. And if you'll read the text, it's clear. The bride won't have a spot or a wrinkle in her garment. And I think tonight, even in this amazing house with this amazing move that's happening, God is going to wrinkle, iron out some wrinkles and remove some spots. I want you to lay hands on your own life right now. Every Christian in this room, lay your hand on your heart. I want you to ask God to search you tonight. Whatever way you pray that, that's what I want you to pray. If there is something of dishonor that God reveals to you, I want you just to ask him to cleanse it out of your life right now because this house is going from glory to glory and a new level is about to dawn upon this place. And I don't even know all that that means. I can only tell you on my way up here, I kept hearing it. I'm taking them to a new level. And I want you to pray, Lord, let it be in my heart right now. Let a new level come up. I feel a breaking up of fallow ground in somebody's heart right now. I feel a new level descending and coming to some people in this room. The whole room is about to go. The whole building is about to go. The whole church is about to go. The whole group is about to go. But it's going to start in you, sir. It's going to start in you, ma'am. I want you to lay your hands on your heart and say, God, don't do it in here without doing it in me. I don't want to just watch it happen. I want to be right in the middle of it. Change me. Help me, God. I want to walk in honor. I want to be a Capernaum people. Lord, 
whatever you're doing in this season, don't do it without me. <laughs> don't do it without. Lay your hands on your heart right now. Come on, I'm getting ready to go sit down. Lord, whatever, come on. Whatever you're doing in, doing in this season, don't do it without me. How many feel that way tonight? Don't do it without me. Look at your neighbor right now and say, friend. Say, brother, sister, whatever they are. Tell them, brother, sister. Say, I want you to know God is about to take this entire fellowship from one level to another level. And I want you to prophesy this over them. Say, you are not going to miss it. Say, you are not going to miss it. If they're not talking to you, I want you to holler in their ear and say, you are not going to miss it. I'm not going to let you miss it. First of all, lift your hand. Help me celebrate what God's about to do in advance in every one of their lives. Family, I'm always honored to be with you. Thank you for allowing me to release this word. How many receive the word of the Lord tonight? How many receive this apostle of this house? Tell your pastor you love him. My Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. What a word tonight. Look at the harvest. Look at the people that are born again this evening. Thank you, Bishop Kevin Wallace. Thank you. Redemption to the Nations Church. We love them. Thank God for what he's doing in Chattanooga, Cleveland, and the whole other places and all their campuses. If you have letter A tonight, letter A, letter A, I'm going to ask if you have letter A, this is Randy right here to my right, to your left. All the way in the back is Colin. If you have letter A, come up these steps right now. Very quickly, this is Vice. He'll take care of you. Letter A, to my right, your left steps. Our altar and prayer team, would you come immediately right now with my altar and prayer team? If you need prayer for anything tonight, our altar and prayer team is going to line up here at the front. Please do not allow someone to pray with you that does not have the lanyards on them. And that is very important. We want to make sure that you know those that are praying for you are sanctioned by Christ Fellowship Church in the North Georgia Revival. 
So if, if my altar team's in place, you need prayer, we want you to know that you have a place to come. In about 10 minutes, we're going to be baptizing people. We'll be releasing them um, to get into the waters, all four pools tonight. If you've not registered, I'm telling you, there's such an anointing in this house. If you've not registered, go out into the lobby, find the table. They're going to register you, and we're going to immerse you tonight. Is this not the most incredible presence of the Lord? He is so sweet. Thank you, Bishop Kevin Wallace. We're going to worship the Lord just a little bit longer until we are ready for the immersion. So our worship team's going to take it from here. Our altar team's ready to minister and to pray for you. Come and let them minister to you. Thank you. God bless you. Hallelujah.